Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on May 1st, 2022 on the basis of Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 22. All right, the sermon... (coughs) The sermon for today is from uh, Acts chapter 9, based on, on the text from Acts chapter 9. I'm just going to read it all uh, right away, and then we'll, we'll kind of reference parts of it uh, during, the, during the sermon as well. So from Acts chapter 9 here, it says, and I, should, I should preface this by saying, uh, when you hear the name Saul, he's the guy that we typically know as Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? Um, uh, when he would go out to the, the Gentiles and, and go on his mission journeys, then he became, became known as uh, the Apostle Paul. But for this text, anyways, he's going to be Saul. So that's, that's the same guy, just so, so you're um, on the same page here. So it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he said again, and, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful 
and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. This is God's Word. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm sure you all know that person. That person that, that kind of intimidates you just a little bit. You're afraid to, to maybe talk to him, to, to him or her, let alone share Jesus with them. And it might be for a variety of reasons. It, it might be how they look. Maybe they're, maybe they're the kind of person that just kind of seems to always have a scowl on their face. Maybe they're, they're really tall and intimidating. Maybe it's something else about them that, that makes them scary. Maybe it's something that you know about them. Some, some little piece of information that, that might scare you off. Or maybe it's none of those things, and it's maybe it's just a feeling that you have about that person. Uh, the feeling that they might just dismiss you, make fun of you, or, or argue with you. Uh, being, a, being a pastor, I do a fair share of, my fair share of canvassing, door to door canvassing, where I, I would walk up to a house and I'd, I'd knock on the door in hopes to engage someone in a conversation about Jesus about the church, or really just taking that conversation wherever it may lead. And as I would go from house to house, um, I'd make some observations, right? Before you walk up to a house, you kind of notice some things about the house. Now, sometimes those, those observations were, they were pretty subtle. Sometimes they were a little more obvious, uh, like a sign in the front yard that, that was some social cause type sign that was contrary to what the, the Bible said, either attacking the biblical view of creation or attacking the biblical view of, of marriage. Other times, I'd walk up to a house and I'd notice some sort of dark artwork of some sort, like a skull or something scary uh, like that. One that really stuck out, stuck out to me was I walked up to a house that, that had a sign in front of it that said, Atheist and Proud. And so as I'm standing in front of those houses and making those observations, can I, can I let you in on a little bit of my, my thought process there? I'm thinking, man, do I really want to open myself up to this criticism or this argument? This person certainly won't want to hear what I have to say. In fact, they may not even let me, let me speak. Now, you may have had those thoughts, maybe not on a doorstep, Maybe you weren't walking up to a house and knocking on the, on the door. But maybe you've had those, those thoughts as well. This internal dialogue as you were thinking about possibly sharing the good news of Jesus with someone else, those thoughts started churning. And you started anticipating rejection. And that anticipation of rejection was maybe enough to scare you off from talking to them in the first place. Or it was maybe enough to, to allow you to change your message. No matter what fears we might have about talking to somebody else about Jesus, I can guarantee the first century church probably had a few more than we do. We fear rejection on a social basis, that we're going to be considered weird or social outcast or it's going to be an awkward conversation or something like that. They feared for their lives because of a guy named Saul. Saul was on a mission, and it was his life mission to root out Christianity he was highly motivated, and he was good at his job. <laughs> Just two chapters before this, in, in Acts chapter 7, uh, we get a, uh, an example of 
what Saul was, was doing. As we, we see Stephen, who's considered the first martyr of the church, Stephen, who was stoned to death, and we, we get the first picture of Saul there. It's just a little verse at, at the end of this section, but it says that Saul was there. They had laid their, laid their coats at his feet, and he was nodding in approval as they stoned Stephen to death. And so Saul may or may not have been the one actively murdering Christians, but he was certainly facilitating those murders. And if it wasn't murder, then he was rounding up Christians, arresting them, and throwing them into prison. In terms of zeal for persecuting the church, Saul had a whole lot of zeal. This wasn't a man that you'd want to run into as a Christian. Christians stayed away from him. In fact, at the very name of, mention of, of Saul's name, they probably ran and hid. It was probably never in their thought process to witness to Saul, to tell Saul about Jesus, that Jesus had risen from the dead and that Jesus had done that for Saul because Saul wanted nothing to do with Christ. And he certainly wanted nothing to do with Christians. And in this section, we see just how much he hated Christians. He was willing to travel 150 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus, which could take as long as two weeks, just to, to round up some of these Christians who belonged to the, the way, that's what they were calling themselves back then, to round them up, to bring them back to Jerusalem and, and stick them in prison. That's what Saul set out to do. And so he left. He left Jerusalem with his gang of guys, but things didn't quite go as Saul had, had planned. He was startled and stopped on the road to Damascus where Saul saw Jesus. Now you kind of wonder, don't you? You wonder how long it took him to, to actually realize what he is seeing. It's an understatement to say that Saul was not a believer, right? But what we mean when we say that, that he was, he was not a believer, we mean that he didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, he certainly believed that Jesus was a real person. There was no denying that fact. But he did not believe that, that Jesus was risen from the dead, and he certainly didn't believe that Jesus did that for him. And yet now, on the road to Damascus with his very own eyes, he is seeing Jesus, the risen Christ, in the flesh. Now, now add this detail on, and it becomes even more uh, amazing. Saul's not just seeing the risen Christ, but he's seeing the risen Christ in all of his glory, which call, caused Saul a fair bit of confusion. You saw it. He says, who are you, Lord? And Saul got an answer that, that he probably never expected to get. He said, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. And just like that, Saul's whole life came crashing down in front of him. Everything that Saul had ever believed to be true was now proved to be a lie. Saul had so adamantly opposed Jesus and the followers of Jesus, and now, with his own eyes, he sees Jesus, the risen Christ, and he knows that he, he truly was alive. So, so all that happens, right? All this happens on the road to, to Damascus, and Paul, or Saul, sorry, I'm getting mixed up in my own head here, Saul uh, he, he, saw the, the, he saw the glorified Christ, which is, is something that's maybe too much for a, a sinful human to take. And so Saul is, is blind. He, he opens his eyes and realizes he can't see anymore. 
But he's supposed to continue the rest of the way to Damascus, where he's going to find this guy named Ananias, who was a faithful follower of, of Jesus. Now, think about Ananias in this, in this story a little bit, too. God comes and gives you a message and says, hey, you're supposed to go find this, this guy, Saul of, of Tarsus. And Ananias goes, yeah, I've, I've heard of him. I, I know a little bit about Saul. Saul was coming to Damascus to arrest guys like, like me, like Ananias. And now Ananias is supposed to go find Saul. But he does. Maybe it tells you a little bit about the courage that God gives us through faith. But Ananias went and he found Saul. And Saul, perhaps to Ananias, looked quite a bit different than he, he imagined. Saul wasn't ready to murder him or arrest him. Saul was ready to be baptized. His heart had been changed. He was no longer a staunch opponent of Jesus, but he was a believer. God had taken the heart of a, of a killer and made it a heart of his child. And Saul would never be the same. How could he? He now knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. He now knew that that, that was the truth. That if someone can rise from the dead, then everything that they said before that must be true. That the scriptures that testified about Jesus were true and that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of that. He could no longer live as he did. He could no longer persecute the church. I want you to marvel at that change in Saul for for just a a second. Because this isn't just a a superficial, outward kind of change. Like Saul says, well, I'm going to stop killing Christians and I might stop arresting them. But uh, I still believe in my cause. No, Saul completely changed. He went from opposing Christ to now he's, he's following Christ devoutly. Like, he, he is sticking to Christ. Perhaps maybe in, in a more tight fashion than some of the disciples did. Who knows? God had worked this change in Saul's heart and, you, and is going to use him as his, his instrument. When we witness that change in, in Saul, when we see that account, we can't walk away from this with... with Um, with the same perspective. Our perspective is also changed. Because if God can take one of the most hardened unbelievers who had a rock heart and turn him into a believer that that now has a a heart of flesh, a heart that that believes, then God can certainly do that for the person that intimidates you in your life or that that scares you or that you're scared to share Jesus with. Because after all, He did change your heart. He took your heart that that was so dead and lost in sin and transgressions and he made it alive, just like he made himself alive. He he took your heart that that, that daily sins much and, and he redeemed it. He saved it. He took your heart that ought to be considered in the same category as Saul. He he called himself the, the chief of sinners and we are right there with him. He took that heart and he redeemed it. He saved it. He created faith in your heart. He didn't appear to you on the road to Damascus. I'm confident of that. But he comes to you. And he came to you in the word and the sacraments and he still does today. To remind you that his grace goes with you. When you feel like you're not forgiven, his grace goes with you. He tells you in his word that that you are. He comes to you in the sacrament of communion. And lets you taste that you, you are forgiven. 
He, he comes to you and reminds you that, that his grace goes with you to strengthen you as you, you try to talk to that person that intimidates you a little bit. When you, when you feel the conversation turning a little spiritual, he, he's there to strengthen you. You don't back away from it, but you jump into it. That you don't shy away, but, but you realize that God's grace can strengthen you to have that conversation and God's grace can change that heart of the person that you are talking to. God's grace goes with you to show you that, that we ought not never <laughs> underestimate Jesus. Why do you think people do? Why do you think people underestimate Jesus? I'm sure you can probably think of three, four things in your head right now. Let me just throw one out to you. I think we tend to think of Jesus just in, in human terms, right? We, we tend to think of Jesus a lot like, like us. And, and certainly there, there's not, not a lot wrong with that in some sense. Like Jesus came to be like us in every way, yet to not sin, right? To be our, our, uh, our sacrifice on our behalf. Yet, we, we also tend to ascribe to Jesus, the, the risen Jesus who is glorified, we tend to uh, ascribe to him our limited human, sinful capabilities, and we filter everything through our own experience. And, and if we do that, if, if we look at Jesus in that same limited way, that we're always going to underestimate Jesus. But, but the, the truth is, Jesus is God. He is God, and he has a bigger and better plan that, than any of us could ever ask or imagine, because that's how God works. He, he's bigger than us, and we thank God that, that he is. Here's an example. The Old Testament believers, and maybe even into the New Testament, the Israelites, the Jewish people, some of them thought that only Israelites or only Jews were going to go to heaven. But God, even the Old Testament, says, no, that's too small. That's too small of a plan. I got a much bigger plan for you here. And even as early as Isaiah and even earlier than that, God says something as clear as this. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, talking about Jesus here, you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. So it's, it's too small to just save the, the Jewish people, too small to just save the Israelites. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. That's not the non-Jews, everybody else, the whole world. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't just come to save the Israelites or the Jews. He came to save everyone. In the same way today, Jesus didn't just come to save the people in this church, the people in the wells, the people with the stamp Lutheran on them. Jesus came to save everyone. Jesus didn't come to just save the people that look like you, act like you, or talk like you. He came to save everyone. God had a big, big plan. Don't underestimate him. Join him. At this point, in Acts chapter 9, the gospel is just starting to go out. It started in Jerusalem here, and it's just about to go out to the ends of the earth, right, as he said in there. But not yet had everybody heard about Jesus, that Jesus had been risen from the dead. And those that maybe had heard had not been instructed on what that meant yet. But God had big plans. 
He had big plans for, for the, the people that he had redeemed and how he was going to use them as his instrument to spread that gospel. And we can see that in, in Saul. Not only was he going to transform Saul's heart so that he is no longer condemned, but he is saved. He is no longer going to hell, but he's going to heaven. But he's also going to transform Saul to be his instrument. Listen to, to what he said again. Saul is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. God turned a murderer into a missionary, and God would richly bless Paul's ministry. Many, many Gentiles would come to believe that Jesus is their Savior from sin because of what Paul preached. Never underestimate your God. He has accomplished your salvation. He has transformed your heart. You are saved, forgiven, you are loved. If he can do that to you, if he can do that to Saul, then he can certainly use you to bring others into his kingdom as well. Amen.